Welcome back to Obedient Sheep. My name is Dan Takoda, and I want to share with you another message that I feel God has been placing on my heart lately. Now, this is going to be a two-part series. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Haggai today, and we're kind of focusing mostly on chapter one today. God's been showing me some stuff here, um, and I wanted to share that with you while I have the opportunity. Now, before I start, let me go ahead and kind of just tell you a little story here. So, with the Super Bowl that just happened this past weekend and all, uh, I thought, well, what a, what a great time to tell this little Super Bowl story that I've been kind of tucking away for a while. So it goes like this. There was this lady uh, who went to the Super Bowl and there was a seat next to her that was empty. Now, on the other side, she was sitting next to another gentleman and he looked over and noticed that the seat was empty, but really didn't think anything of it at first because you know, maybe, maybe the person who's sitting there, maybe they are in the bathroom, maybe they went to the concession stand, or they're looking for some souvenirs or something, or maybe just even running late. I mean, it's only the first quarter, although you really don't want to miss any of the game, right? Well, as the second quarter rolled in, he kind of leaned over and he said, ma'am, I cannot believe that there are any open seats at the Super Bowl. And looking back at him at the gentleman who, who was saying this, the lady said, oh, that was my husband's seat, but he passed away. Now, the guy was a little, little saddened right away and, and kind of gave her his condolences there and said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. Um, you know, it's a pity that nobody else in the family wanted to take his seat. Well, the lady looked back at him and she said, oh, I asked, but they all decided they wanted to go to the funeral instead. So as you can see in that little story there, uh, her priorities were different. Even though it was her husband, her priorities were this game. And when, when you kind of think about it, as funny as that might be or sad, depending on how you look at it, um, the, the fact is that a lot of us have our priorities wrong, if I can say it that way. See, a lot of times when it comes to things of God, we put him on the back seat. And that's really what this first chapter of, uh, of, of Haggai is all about. It's all about priorities. And we're going to dive into it here. And I'm going to kind of show you how God was not very happy with the, the people and what they were doing. He had brought them out of exile and, and allowed them to go back to their native land, so to say, and and now as they are rebuilding, they have decided to kind of put God in the back seat. He's the, we'll get around to him when we have a moment. So, so again, we're going to take a look at this. And before we do, let's really, um, the verse I want to focus on is Haggai 1.9. And it reads, you hoped for harvest riches, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. And again, I want us to look at the whole chapter, but that's really the point of what we see in chapter one. Now, let's back up a little bit historically and take a look at some of the things that lead up to this point. So first we have Moses. Moses uh, as you know, he received the call from God through the burning bush. And so he has gone and delivered the people out of the nation here. But we find as they are going about their mission, 
that as Moses sends the spies into the uh, into Canaan there, they come back and they say, oh, Moses, the land is just as we were told. It is flowing with milk and honey. The only problem is there are giants in the land, and in our own eyes, we look like grasshoppers. Now, again, I always like to point out the fact that this was the people's assumption of themselves. They, in their own eyes, thought that they looked like grasshoppers. And we find this in Numbers 11, the report of the spies here. But in actuality, they weren't. God was with them. And so you have two of these 12 spies who say, now, hold on a second. We're not going to agree with the other guys there. Yes, it is true that the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it is true that they have these, these big armies and the people are big. But they remembered and they said, God is with us. So let's go and take this land because God has promised it to us. Well, because the, the majority of people followed those 10 spies, the majority of spies, now we have where God's anger is, is he, he's mad. And he tells them that for every day that the spies were in Canaan searching it out there, which was 40 days, that they that God was going to put a year on their walking around in the desert. So that's where we get the fact that they walked in the desert for 40 years. It was because it was their punishment for the 40 days that the spies were gone and the report that they came back and spread throughout the land. Now, with this, then, we finally get to a point where um, where God is going to allow them to come into the promised land. But as Moses is giving his second law, or he's reading uh, what we now know as the book of Deuteronomy, we find specifically in Deuteronomy 28 that God is listing the, the blessings and the cursings. And if you look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, you'll find that there's about 14... 15 verses of God saying, hey, here's all the blessings that I'm going to give you. But then following those blessings, there is double, at least double, maybe triple. It's been a while. I can't remember. Um, but there are more verses that have to do with the curses that are going to come if the people don't do God's will. If they decide they want to serve other gods, if they decide that they want to follow in the practices of these other nations that God is going to, that are currently in the land that God is going to give them favor to overcome. So we have at the beginning there with Moses, again, God is saying, these are the blessings I'm going to give you, but these are the curses I'm going to give you if you don't follow after my ways. And as you follow through the biblical historical facts there, we find that, yes, the people decide that they want a king. So King Saul is put into place first doesn't do a good job. Uh, if you've heard some of my other messages before, then you know that Saul had no heart for God. David comes next. David has a whole heart for God. Now, David did mess up on a couple of occasions there. It wasn't the best of dads, uh, had a problem with adultery, those type things. Uh, and I'm not brushing those off. I'm just moving us forward in the story here. But we find that David did have a heart after God. Then comes Solomon, 
and looking at Solomon, we see he's got a half a heart. At the beginning, he seems to be starting out pretty good. He's asking God for wisdom, and God says, well, because you didn't ask me for the annihilation of your enemies or you didn't ask me for a bunch of riches, I'm going to give you peace, right? So with those three kings, we have 120 years. Solomon, again, half heart does not do a good job because while he might have started out well, the fact is that he got caught up in a lot of wrong things as his kingdomship or as his ruling went 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 on and on. And we find that uh, he's got multiple wives, and with that, he has multiple gods that he serves with his wives which is one of the things that God said, don't have any other gods. So already Solomon is kind of kickstarting this problem that as the kingdoms break up and now you got Judah and you have Israel there, we find that the, the trail of kings on both sides, as we talked about in the previous session, if you go back and you listen to the Smashing Idols, um, Breaking Chains and Smashing Idols, um, you'll see, I, I went in a little bit more into detail about the different kings there. But again, we find that overall, with the exception of a couple of good kings on, on the uh, Judah side, for the most part, everyone is engaged in idol worship, serving other gods. Uh, if, if one person takes down the shrines, the next one seems to be building it back up. And at first, Israel is the first one to go and they get uh, overtaken by the Assyrians there. They get scattered by the Assyrians um, and not a good thing. But God said, hey, look, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, then this is going to be the punishment. I'm going to I'm going to remove you from the land. And so sure enough, Israel gets to experience this first. But then. Judah's not off the hook. Now, Judah got a little bit longer as a promise that God made because there were a couple good kings on the side of Judah there. Um, but eventually, Judah falls into exile. Uh, this is prophesied in Jeremiah 29.10. Here it says that the exile is going to last for 70 years. Um, and in that, in the end of that seven years, they were going to be brought back. And so sure enough, as we look at... Um, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 45, 13, that there was going to be a person that was going to uh, lift that exile, so to say, and allow the people to go back into their land. And that ended up being King Cyrus of uh, Persia. And so, again, all this background is just to kind of lead us up to where we are as we start this book. So now we have uh, Cyrus allowing the, the, the Jews to go back to their land. Approximate time frame on this would have been at 538 BC. And they, there is this allowing of approximately 50,000 exiles to return in the first wave. And this is under the prince and the governor um, Sheshbazar. You can find this in Ezra 1.8. And it, it, it shows here the foundation of a new temple that is going to be laid out according to Ezra 5.16, but abandoned because they were having some hostile neighbors and drought and all that type stuff. So the people, again, they're disappointed with the progress or the lack of progress. They have a lack of supplies, lack of the economy all going down, new leadership under Darius, who is taking the place of King Cyrus there again. And 
we, we aren't really making much progress. Yes, we got out of exile. We got people going back into their homeland, but they're really not making any progress. And so this brings us up to the second wave. And in that second wave, now we have the priest Joshua, and we have the governor who is Zerubbabel. This happens around 522 BC, if you want to kind of keep track on where we are in the calendar. And construction starts for a new temple. This is found in Ezra 5, verses 11 and 12. It's completed a couple years later. So it starts approximately, the Bible scholars approximate that the temple started to be built in 520 BC and was completed around 515 BC only really because of a pep talk that we find here in the book of, of Haggai. Uh, it's also uh, recorded in Ezra 5 as well. But again, this brings us up to where we are and where we're going to look at as we start this book. Who exactly is Haggai? Well, let's kind of dissect him really quick. Uh, he's a prophet. In Haggai 1, verses 1, and then also in 2, verses 1 and 10, as well as in Ezra 6, 14, we find that Haggai is a prophet. In fact, I'll go ahead and read uh, Haggai 1, 1 here. It says, on August 29, now this is from the New Living, on August 29 of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, sorry, I probably said that wrong, governor of Judah, and to uh, Yeshua, or Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So in that, we find that, sure enough, Haggai is a prophet. We also find, as we go down to verse 13, that Haggai is known as the Lord's messenger. So in reading that verse really quick here, we find, uh, where is it? Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So here again, we see him as the, a messenger. He was one of the ones that did return uh, to Jerusalem under the leadership of Sheshbazar in that first wave there. So he's been there for a little bit of time. And it is possible that he is an unnamed prophet. I'm sorry, an unnamed priest if we were to read in Ezra chapters 1 and 2, it talks about a priest, but it doesn't actually give us a name. So some scholars debate that maybe that could have been Haggai there as well. All right, now that you kind of have a little bit of the background as to what's going on here and who Haggai is, now I want us to kind of just jump into the actual chapter. The first chapter here is only 15 verses, so I'm going to go ahead and read all 15 here for us. So again, starting in verse 1, on August 29 of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. Then the, pro then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. 
You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were, they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of, your, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew from the earth and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on the fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all the other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything that you have worked so hard to get. Now, start, uh, continue on in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of, God, of God's people, began to obey the message of the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of Darius's reign. All right, so there is the chapter. And if you if you were listening, you heard that the biggest complaint that God had against the people was they were neglecting him. It's just like we talked about at the beginning with that lady. She she didn't have her priorities straight. She decided that it was more important for her to go to the Super Bowl than to be at her husband's funeral, right? And it's the same thing that we're seeing here in this passage. The people had their priorities wrong. The right thing to do would have been putting God first. We talked about this a couple other sessions back, seeking God first, right? And, and the benefits that come with it. God says that if we seek first, that we'll have the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, right? So if we want all these things to be added unto us, we've got to do what? We've got to do what God tells us to do. We've got to put him first, make him the priority. Now, let me give you an example of this in my own life. All right. Now, I, I would love to say that I am doing better with this, but th this is how, how real I plan on being with you. So a while back, uh, last year to be exact, I started doing Nooms. If you know who what Noom is, it's one of those little weight loss things. And I was doing well. I was out there getting exercise. I was walking. Um, I was eating better. I made my health a priority. And when I made that priority, I noticed that I started losing weight, right? Started out at, when I started the session, I started at um, 205, 
And within a couple of months, I was already down to under 190. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is great. And because I started getting comfortable, what do you think happened? Well, I started eating a little bit unhealthy again. Um, and I started reasoning why it was okay for me to start eating unhealthy again. Oh, I'd done so well and it will be easy if I gain a pound or two, I'll just, you know, I'll just noom it off, so to say. And, and, and so what I found was that I started making other things my priority. Eventually, I stopped doing the exercise and I stopped eating healthier. And sadly, I'm again, just being honest with you, when I weighed myself on Sunday, I was at 200 pounds again. All that weight that I had lost, all those methods, those priorities that I had set in place, I let them go. Now, that's just my physical walk, but let's talk about my spiritual walk. Around the same time, I decided, you know, I'm going to be getting up early, so I'll have this energy from the walking, and I will start having better quiet times. I'll, I'll be reading my Bible a lot more and all. And so, again, what do you think happened there? Well, after a while, I, I, got, I got tired of waking up early to go out and exercise, and without exercise, I... I I would try and get up early to read the Bible, but I was, I was falling asleep. And pretty soon I said, oh, I, I'll just hit the snooze button. And eventually it wasn't even snooze. Now I was just setting the alarm clock for a later time. And again, I lost this priority. I began to put God in the back seat. What I want to get through to you, the listener today, and to myself, is this is a big mistake. It is a mistake for us to put God any place besides first. Again, look at what our text was saying. God was upset with the people. It's not that the God didn't want them to have homes to live in, but God wanted his home to be built first. Why? It wasn't because he was saying, well, you know, uh, you, you just get you got to build a house for me because I'm I'm just that kind of God. You know, I'm I'm more important than you. No, it's because God said that he knew that if the people did not establish the temple first, what were they going to do? Probably never get around to it. It would have been oh, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll we'll procrastinate and we'll get around to it at some point. But if we continue to live our lives with the fact that we're going to eventually get around to it, we're probably never going to get around to it. And so God is saying through the prophet Haggai, I am I'm disappointed. Put me first. And I guarantee you that, that, that you will have, again, like we said, like it says in Matthew 6.33, put God first and all these things will be added unto you. God is not changing his mind. He, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, he says the same thing. And I'm speaking to myself, so I don't think that I got all my fingers pointing at you. Nope, I got quite a few pointing back at me. If we put God first... The way that it should be, then we are going to find ourselves living a blessed life. If we do what he asks us to do, this is the whole reason why I call this obedient sheep, because we have to be obedient to God's word. 
And his word tells us that he needs to be the number one thing. Not just because of the blessings and the rewards, but because that's what he is commanding. That's what he's asking of us. Put me first. If Again, if they had not, the way they were going, they were not putting God first. And what was happening? They weren't finding the blessings. God was saying that he was, he was blowing away their crops. He was, he, um, where is that? Back in verse nine again, you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. So they're not getting the crops there because they're not putting God first. And, and when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of, of heaven's armies, while all of your buildings they're, they're fine-looking houses. It's not that God is mean. It's not that God is, is, is wanting us to live in poverty or have terrible, diminishing things. That's not it at all. God wants us to put him first so that he can bless us. They were not getting blessed. They were struggling because they did not put God first. Now, this is an easy thing to say, but it's not always easy to live out, right? I mean, I just share with you my own stories, my physical health, my spiritual health. I wasn't doing what I needed to do, and I found myself not being blessed as a result of it. I found those pounds coming back on instead of the pounds falling back off. I found myself sleeping in instead of waking up and making the, the purposed intention of meeting with God and hearing what he wanted to say. And I wasn't seeing the blessings that God wanted to pour out on me. I wasn't hearing the words in my conversations with God, in my prayer time with God. I wasn't hearing what he wanted to share with me because I wasn't even showing up. How much did I miss because I thought that sleep was more of a priority? And yeah, there'd be times I would, I would, I would say just like they did, you know, uh, yeah, God, you know, uh, I'll get around to it later on today. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and sleep in right now. And uh, I promise I'll get around to it by the end of the day. But even there, what, what happens? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, at least it turned into, okay, I'm home from work and yeah, I know I need to spend time with God, but oh, it's been just such a long day at work. I think I'll just sit here on the couch and watch TV, you know, just, just 30 minutes or so without well, 30 minutes turns into an hour that turns into two, that turns into three and before long it's bedtime. And I, oh God, I didn't spend any time with you today. I'm so sorry. I promise I'll do it tomorrow. Knowing full well by this point that I'm not going to do it tomorrow either. And then I start rationalizing. Well, I'm, I'm, I go to church and I hear about God at church, right? Or I'll listen to a Christian radio or whatever it is there. I'll, I'll listen to a podcast, you know, that, that, Oh, being sheep guy, he's pretty cool. I'll listen to his podcast or something. But the same thing, I, it never, it never actually happens. And if I do flip on the radio or the podcast or something, am I really paying attention, or is it just background noise? So again, I'm 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 using myself as an example because I'm not exempt from this. Where are 
our priorities. Think, think about yourself there for a moment. Where are your priorities? Is God first in your life? Are you living as if he's number one? I'm going to leave you with, with just this thought. Where does God line up in your life? I've heard people say, oh, you got to put God first and then your spouse second, your uh, your family, I guess, second, your spouse, your kids, and then work third and all that. And that, two, three, four, whatever, that's, that's all for you to decide. But is God number one? When you look at your list of priorities, is God number one? I'm going to challenge you this week. And this challenge goes to me also. Make God number one this week. Now, I, I, I pray that we make God number one all the time. But be purposeful. Set your priorities straight. This week, if nothing else, put God first and see what happens. That's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to me. I'll see you next time. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Obedient Sheep podcast. If you'd like to get more information on this ministry or even get in contact with me, please go to obedientsheep.net. There you'll be able to leave your information, drop a line, send a prayer request, or even check out the other resources that are available. Thank you again for checking out this ministry, and we hope you have a blessed day.